Hello, and welcome to the Breaking Up With Anxiety podcast. I am your host, the anxiety nutritionist, gut and hormonal health expert, yoga and meditation teacher, and cat mom, Taylor Jandro. This podcast is designed to show you how to relieve and resolve your chronic anxiety through the powerful combination of food, lifestyle changes, nutraceuticals, gut and hormonal health optimization, nervous system regulation, yoga, meditation, mindset coaching, lifestyle coaching, and so much more. And today I am finally sitting down to record an episode many of you have been asking for about how I found myself in stage three burnout and what I am doing to pull myself out. At the end of August or early September 2022, the timeline is a little hazy. I think it was the end of August. I realized I was in stage three adrenal fatigue, also called burnout, also called adrenal dysfunction. You'll probably hear me call it adrenal dysfunction the most. That's the term that I prefer. It's the one that resonates the most with me because technically your adrenals from a biological perspective, they don't fatigue. That's just the nickname for burnout or adrenal dysfunction. So I had known for months that I was kind of dancing with burnout. I would tell some of my friends, I would tell my colleagues, I would say, you know, I feel like I'm flirting with burnout. I'm like dancing with burnout, but I'm pretty confident that, you know, I'm a really good dancer. I'm going to outrun it. Or I thought at the very least that I could just kind of maintain it and that it wouldn't get worse. Well, (laughs) I was very wrong. Um, I guess I'll start by briefly explaining adrenal dysfunction and then I'll explain how I get, how I got there, my symptoms and what I'm currently doing to, to pull myself out. So adrenal dysfunction is a syndrome. Okay. It's not a diagnosis. There is no medication for this. There is no surgery for this. So because of that, it's um, kind of something that the medical community doesn't really take seriously, or some might even say it doesn't exist. Some might say it's like pseudoscience. Um, But basically, it's a pattern of symptoms that impacts multiple body systems, not just your adrenals. So burnout slash adrenal dysfunction slash adrenal fatigue, whatever you want to call it. It's not a diagnosis. It's a syndrome. And we can recognize it because there are very specific patterns of symptoms that are going to impact not just our adrenals, but multiple body systems. So everything in the body is connected, right? Everything affects everything. Your body works as a whole. Your body parts do not work in isolation. And this is one of the biggest differences between the medical healthcare model and the holistic functional healthcare model is the medical one tends to look at things in isolation and holistic healthcare looks at everything as a whole. And your adrenal health has everything to do with your brain, your mental health, your entire hormonal network. So your brain is part of your hormonal network, your hypothalamus, your pituitary, your thyroid, your adrenals, your sex hormones. It's also going to be connected to the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system. It's going to play a large role in which nervous system are we spending most of our time in. And it's going to impact the vagus nerve, which is going to go on to influence our gut health. And the gut influences everything, 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 everything is connected to gut health. 
So when we're looking at adrenal dysfunction, we're looking at kind of three primary stages, kind of camps that people might fall into. So the very first stage, phase one, it's this early stage. It's almost like think of alarm bells going off. And then phase two, mid-stage, this is kind of a resistance stage. Um, Stage three is actual burnout. This is the late stage. So in phase one, this early stage, this alarm stage, What's happening here is there's this overactivation of the paras- of the sympathetic nervous system. Sorry, not parasympathetic. Overactivation of the sympathetic nervous system, which is going to cause our stress hormones like cortisol and adrenaline to be released. And a few things that are happening in the body here is this is going to start to break down proteins and muscle tissues. This is going to start to dysregulate blood sugar. This is going to decrease the production of our thyroid and our sex hormones. It's also going to impact our immune system and decrease the production of our white blood cells. And we call it the alarm stage because it it's referring to the initial symptoms that the body is experiencing when under stress. So it's referring to the activation of the fight or flight response that's either preparing us to flee or protect ourselves from danger. So our heart rate is increasing, our adrenal glands are again pumping out cortisol and adrenaline, our energy is increasing temporarily because we need to maybe run away from the bear. So some of the symptoms that are associated with this first phase are high blood pressure, anxiety, depression, um, blood sugar dysregulation, high or lows can create symptoms of panic, poor memory, especially under stress, starting to sleep issues with our sleep, sugar cravings, carb cravings, sweet and salty cravings. And if we find that we're, we're getting sick more often, we can have these frequent kind of colds and flus and, and infections. Now, phase two, we call the resistance stage. And this is basically the progression of the alarm phase. So we've been in phase one for who knows how long, because maybe we're not really recognizing the symptoms because they're super normalized. And so we think like, oh, it's fine. Everybody has these symptoms. I'm just going to keep pushing through. And then we move into the resistance stage. So stage two, where symptoms start to become a little bit more chronic and the body is still on high alert here. So if let's say you went through something really stressful and that's kind of what kicked you into this alarm stage, if that stress has passed and you're allowing yourself to recover and your body to recover from the impact that stress has on the body, then the body will just continue to repair itself until our hormone levels, our heart rate, our blood pressure, everything reaches our kind of pre- stress state. Now, if the stress persists, and I'm not just talking about mental or emotional stress, I'm talking about physical stress, like a gut pathogen in the body, a bacteria imbalance in the body, low stomach acid, things like this are going to cause stress on the body, inflammation, overexercising. This is going to keep the body in that stressed out state. The stress is persisting, so the body is going to stay on high alert And eventually, because the body is really smart and it's always trying to protect us, it's always trying to adapt. And that's exactly what happens in this resistance stage is that eventually the body's going to adapt and it's going to learn basically how to live in this increased stress 
state. So we call this like stress adaptation. And the body is going to continue to secrete stress hormones and blood pressure is going to continue to stay high. And then if this resistance stage continues for too long without breaks to offset the effects of this stress, then this can lead to the exhaustion stage, which is stage three. So signs of the resistance stage or stage two are irritability, frustration, poor concentration, high or low blood pressure, again, blood sugar dysregulation, panic attacks, that feeling where you're you're tired, but you're wired. So you're physically tired, but your brain is like running, 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 running. Anxiety, obviously. Um, feeling that you need caffeine or stimulants to help you get through the day. Hitting that afternoon fatigue, that afternoon crash around two to five o'clock, whether that's an energy dip or you maybe get cravings at this time because your body is like, oh, I need sugar. I need energy. I'm starting to crash. And that's very much your hormones. Weight gain, especially if it's around your abdomen, sugar cravings, uh, anxiety and depression, ulcers, frequent, again, frequent cold, flus, and infections. We'll start to see some fertility issues here, maybe irregular menstruation, PMS, thyroid problems, poor focus, poor memory, poor concentration, sleep problems, and uh, osteoporosis, and even osteopenia. Now, stage three, okay? So the resistance stage continued for far too long without breaks, and now we find ourselves in stage three. This is the late stage. This is technically what burnout is. Stage one and stage two, we're starting to see adrenal dysregulation, but we're not actually in burnout until we're in this phase three. So this occurs when there is ongoing unrelieved or mismanaged stress. And eventually what happens is our cortisol and adrenaline levels, now they start to decline. Now we are underproducing these stress hormones and stress hormones are not a bad thing. We do need them in what they play a purpose in our body. We do like cortisol, for example, is anti-inflammatory when it's in the optimal amounts, not when we're overproducing it. And so cortisol and adrenaline levels are now going to start to decline. And this is when things start to kick in like chronic fatigue. This is like when when people think of burnout where they have to take time off work. The fatigue is just so much. Depression is huge here. Um, We'll see that symptom of depression, anxiety as well. And this decreased stress tolerance. So this is going to occur frequently, or it's more common for people who've undergone like major stressors, or maybe they have sustained high levels of stress for a really long time without recovery. It's almost like you've drained your physical or mental or emotional resources. It doesn't have to be all of them at the same time to the point where the body no longer has the strength to fight off stress. And then this is going to go on to weaken the immune system. Um, We're going to see signs and symptoms like that difficulty to get out of bed, extreme fatigue, poor focus, memory concentration, low blood sugar, blood sugar dysregulation. At this point, like we need caffeine or stimulants to help us get through the day. Salt cravings will be huge here. Nausea, vomiting, loose stools, IBS type symptoms, um, sleep issues, 
like we're sleeping for some people in this stage can sleep for 12 to 14 hours and they still don't feel rested. They still feel tired or they'll struggle with insomnia. So these are just the most common symptoms and kind of like a general breakdown of the phase when I'm working with a client um, and I suspect that they're maybe in stage two or stage three because everyone I work with, it has stage one adrenal dysfunction. If you have chronic anxiety, there is adrenal dysfunction going on for sure. And the question is just, well, what stage is it? So my normal intake forms, like my base intake forms already cover off stage one. And then based on what I'm seeing on the intake information, if I suspect they're in stage two or stage three, then I'll use a separate symptom intake analysis form, like a separate one that's very specific to the adrenal health and the burnout symptoms. And I get them to rate. It's almost a hundred symptoms here. I think it's like 95 or 96 possible symptoms and they rate it on a scale of zero to three. And based on those scores, plus me looking at their diet, their gut health, their lifestyle, their health history, and all their other intake information, I can determine what stage someone is in. And then therefore the port, the protocols that we were, will use, like the protocols that we're going to use to pull someone out will be different based on the phase. So if someone's in stage one, it's going to be a different approach than if they're in stage two. If someone's in stage three, it's going to be a different approach. So how did I get here? (laughs) If I see this in practice all the time, how did I let this happen to me? Which is something that I said, I kind of went down a little shame spiral for about a week, maybe two weeks max, where I was just like, it was like my ego took like a little bit of a hit. I felt like I should have known better. Obviously in hindsight, and I'll I'll explain uh, in this episode, I completely understand why it happened. And it's definitely nothing to be like ashamed about, but I definitely felt for a week and a week and a bit, I was just like, oh my gosh, like I'm the anxiety nutritionist. Like I, everything I do is gut health and adrenal health. Like how did I let this happen? Well, for years I have had multiple jobs. So I work for, I have a, I work for the federal government. So that's 37.5 hours a week or whatever. In addition to working with my private clients in the women in my breaking up with anxiety four month coaching program, in addition to all the other, like, you know, this podcast and uh, the workshops that I create and I'm building out the membership and all the things that I do for my online practice. And then I also work for another nutritionist supporting her clients uh, in her hormonal health membership. So I've been doing these roles, these two roles for quite a few years. And then in February, 2022, I took on a project management role for another nutritionist which I was super excited about. So I loved this role. I was learning so much, loved the role, loved who I was working for. I was like fangirling. I was just like, oh my gosh, I love this so much. I was learning so much. And so I kind of just didn't notice how much of a toll it was taking on me, both mentally and energetically. It was less about time because it, it, it didn't take up like too much of my time, but it took up a lot of my mental space and my energetic capacity. And when you love what you do, it's easy to become a workaholic because work is fun and it starts to consume you. And that's what happened in the past since basically 2019 when I started all of this. Working almost became like my favorite hobby. 
And I was actually at a wedding last night and a lot of Steve's friends um, have their own businesses. And I was talking to one of them about how hard it is to unplug, like when you're the entrepreneur and you just love what you do so much that it consumes you and you have to be so intentional about unplugging. This was a really, really big lesson for me all last year. And, and I have extracted so many lessons in from falling into burnout or crashing into burnout is really what it felt like. I've extracted so many lessons. And so, you know, in hindsight, I'm very grateful for the experience because I think I'm an extremely stubborn person. And I think sometimes I just really have to learn the hard way. <laughs> I think as most of us do, it's very human nature something that I understood so intellectually, like theoretically I understood burnout. I work with women in burnout. Like I get it, I get it, I get it, I get it until it happens to you. And then you're like, oh no, I actually was doing all these other things and I probably could have prevented this, but oh well, lesson learned. Um, so when I say like, I'm not good at unplugging, I'm not talking about I'm working on my computer until late hours of the night. I've always been really good at putting my computer away. I have very strong boundaries around my sleep. Sleep is a priority. Getting off electronics is a priority. Having like a wind down bedtime routine, having a morning routine off electronics, like these are all huge priorities for me. These are like strong boundaries that I have. So when I say unplugging, I mean turning my brain off and leaving work at work and not bringing it home and being present with my family and friends instead of like having ideas kind of pop into my head and me being like, oh, I just need to like really quickly put this on my phone. Or if it's during my non-technology time, writing it down in my notebook and, and just really, really trying to, to leave work at work like I can do with my government job, for example. I close my computer and I'm like, I'm done. And I, I don't think about it until the next day. Uh, but it's really hard and it's definitely going to take a lot of practice. And who knows if I'll ever be able to completely unplug, but but I do think I could be more intentional about it. Anyway, I think when you think of employees who are burnt out and maybe you have been in burnout and you've experienced this, you know, they're maybe they're unhappy and they feel underappreciated and they're not completely fulfilled or satisfied at work. And so then they're unproductive. But it wasn't like that for me. I was I love what I'm doing. And, and burnout has happens to a lot of teachers as well and other health practitioners because they love what they're doing so much and they just pour so much of themselves into their work and they forget to replenish their cup or don't prioritize replenishing their cup. I really think that this is what makes entrepreneurs more at risk, if you will, for burnout because they're so passionate about what they do that it's so easy to overwork yourself because it doesn't feel like work. And you're also more socially isolated. Growing this online practice has been one of the loneliest things that I have ever done, which is a it gets so fulfilling, but it's incredibly lonely. And it's a big reason why I pay for mentorship and to pay to be part of Mastermind so I can surround myself with other people that are trying to do what I'm trying to do and doing what I'm doing so you don't feel so alone. And luckily I have the safety net for now of other jobs, but a lot of entrepreneurs don't. And one day I won't. One day, the only thing I will do is this everything breaking up with anxiety. It'll be my only job. And there's always going to be this level of uncertainty without the security of a steady paycheck. And I have contractors now. And one day I'm, I'm going to have a few full-time employees. I'll basically be in charge of not only putting food on my own table, but on the tables of other people and like helping other people support their families. And that's just not something that I, I take lightly. I don't really think 
I, all my entrepreneur friends do not take that lightly. So, you know, we're choosing a certain level of stress and pressure. I'm choosing a career with a certain level of stress and pressure because I know I can handle it and I'll do the work to navigate it with as much ease as possible because a huge part of this is prioritizing my physical and my mental health. However, even though I have all these other jobs to support me while I build this practice, it doesn't mean that I don't feel that financial pressure. And because of this financial pressure last summer, so summer of 2022, I almost I almost walked away. It was just becoming like there was a few weeks that there was like this stuff going on behind the scenes with the business and the finances. And it was, I just, I almost shut everything down. I was almost like, I'm done. I'm shutting down my Instagram. I'm turning off my Facebook ads. I'm not going to wrap up with my current clients and that's it. I just want to focus on like paying down all my debt from school. And then maybe in a few years, I'll start back up again. Cause it was just getting to, to be, I was hit with financial stressor after financial stressor after stressor after stressor. And it was just so emotionally exhausting that there was one day that I was sobbing in bed for my entire lunch break, like ugly crying in bed from 12 to one. And that was the day. It was a Thursday. It was hot. It was like, it must've been July, June or July. I don't even know. And I was thinking like, this is it. Like I'm done. Like I need to shut this down like for a few years. And then at one o'clock I had a video call where I was training a new employee in one of my other jobs. So I had to literally get on this call. My face was red and swollen. There was nothing I could do about it. (laughs) I just had to say, I was like, listen, I'm having a really bad day. I just had a really good cry. Like I'm here. I'm present. Please just ignore my face. (laughs) And so in hindsight, when you take all this into context, Looking back, it's really no surprise that I crashed into stage three burnout, like adrenal fatigue, especially because I I would never throw in the towel. Even if there's moments where I get so close, I know I, I won't. Like this just means way too much to me. It's my story. It's like it changed my life. It gave me my life back. It's I just can't not help other women in the same way. So for years, I've been like working multiple jobs, drowning in debt while also pouring my heart and soul and literal like sweat and tears and any extra cash I had just growing this practice, growing this practice, never taking a profit, like trying to reach as many women as possible. Then in February, 2022, I take on even more work because one, I wanted the job and two, the extra cash was going to be incredibly helpful for once from a financial perspective. I was like, this gives me wiggle room. Like I can breathe a little bit here. And it's actually kind of hilarious now that I genuinely thought I wouldn't get to this place. And the reason I thought that was because when I started to recognize the symptoms and the early warning signs of burnout, I buckled down. So I adjusted my diet. Mainly I increased the amount of complex carbs I was eating. I stopped spinning and lifting heavy weights. And I focused on just going for a walk every single day, two walks if I could, moving my body really gently with some light yoga, stretching a little bit of Pilates here and there. Uh, I I increased the type of adrenal support supplement I was taking. I made sure I was sleeping even more. So I always try to get eight hours, 
usually ends up being like anywhere from seven to nine. So I was prioritizing getting like nine hours of sleep. I was going to bed at 8.39. I tested for gut pathogens, heavy metals, things like that, uh, any stealth pathogens, because if those are present, I would have needed to remove those in order to fully recover from burnout. So I was doing all the things But what I seriously underestimated was the impact of how much I was working and the toll that the financial stress was taking on me. It was just like this really low-grade chronic stress that I'd kind of gotten used to because it's been years. It's been years and years and years. And so I've been carrying it with me all these years. And one day the bucket overflowed and my body said, no, no, no more we're done. A common question I get is how did you know you were in burnout? So if you are listening to this podcast and you have chronic anxiety, you are 1000% without a doubt, there is some level of adrenal dysfunction going on. Let's, I'm just going to quickly chat about the adrenal specific, like the anxiety specific adrenal symptoms. So feeling anxious, nervous, and panicky worrying a lot, irritability, low motivation, or feeling heavy, apathetic, depression, low blood pressure, dizzy when standing up too fast, or if you're standing for long periods of time, um, vertigo, PVCs, heart flutters, atrial fibrillation, stress-induced chest pains and tightness, stress-induced high blood pressure, sensitivity to light, sensitivity to uh, noises, loud music, yelling, you're really jumpy, you feel like you have to urinate frequently, IBS, stomach issues, um, stomach aches, anything digestion that's worsened by stress. So as you can probably tell, because you might be resonating with a lot of these symptoms, these symptoms are not quote unquote from the anxiety. These symptoms along with the anxiety are a collection of symptoms that make up the syndrome of adrenal dysfunction. And even adrenal dysfunction is not itself a root cause. A root cause is, well, why is this actually happening when we cannot go back even further? And we can still go back further. We can still look at the gut. We can still look at the diet. We can still look at lifestyle. We can still look at stress that are creating this symptom of adrenal dysfunction. So adrenal dysfunction is a symptom. It is not a root cause. And as I mentioned, every single woman I work with is at least in stage one, sometimes stage two. I haven't actually worked with anyone in stage three yet besides myself. (laughs) I am forever my best client. And in a way, everything I do is really kind of born from my own struggles. So from that lens, I'm really grateful for this experience. I've extracted so many lessons and I am successfully pulling myself out. I'm not all the way out yet, but I have made so much progress and I'll kind of explain all of that. So how did I know I was in burnout? I knew based off symptoms and based off some patterns I was seeing come up in my blood work, which I get every six to eight months, and I use this as a marker of my health. I'm actually due for some updated blood work, so I think I have an appointment with my naturopath next month. So I will do a whole podcast episode where I review my own blood work, uh, and I'll explain it to you. So you can learn how a functional practitioner reads blood work, which is very different from a medical doctor. They are looking for markers of disease. When they look at blood work, they want to know, does this person need medication or surgery? And when a functional or a health, a holistic health practitioner like me is looking at your, your blood work, 
They're looking at optimal ranges. What does your body need to function optimally? What does your body need so you can feel amazing? Not, oh, are you in a disease state or not? So stay tuned for that episode. But based on my symptoms and some patterns in my blood work, that's how I knew I was in burnout, but I could have just gone off symptoms. So here were my main symptoms by August, 2022. I had a really hard time getting out of bed in the morning, which is not usual for me at all. It is totally normal to be groggy when you first wake up, but you should feel awake and energized and you should feel good and ready to start your day within 30 minutes of waking up. I was crashing between 12 and three o'clock every day, craving a pick-me-up like chocolate or coffee, which I wasn't often having, but I was craving it. And again, that's not normal for me. And by the time five o'clock came around, it was just like such a struggle bus trying to get from 12 to five. I felt like I needed naps and I never feel like I need a nap. Um, my sleep started to get all messed up again. I would have trouble falling asleep or staying asleep. I was waking up between two and 4 a.m. every morning. I never felt rested. Uh, I never felt rested when I woke up, um, which is all very out of the normal for me. On blood work, I was showing as insulin resistance, which in no way was a reflection of my diet. So this was a big clue that something was going on with my adrenals. Everything was just kind of starting to add up. So I'm very in tune with my body. You know, I understand that symptoms are just messages. And so if I'm starting to experience a symptom, that's not just like, you know, one random symptom out of the blue that I get every couple of months. I don't think anything about that. But if it starts to become more chronic, then I start to be like, oh, okay, what's my body trying to tell me? So I was already starting to clue in, but the big flashing red light for me was when the apathy set in. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, I just had zero motivation. I felt so heavy. I just stopped caring about everything. Like everything I love to do, I love to write. I love to research. I love to study. I love continuing education. I love reading about gut health and hormonal health. I, I love learning about systems and funnels and all the behind the scenes stuff that goes into running a, a successful online practice. Like what people see on Instagram is like such a small, small, small piece of all of the stuff that it takes to run. I'm running a business essentially. And it's just me, myself, and I, I don't really have support. I have uh, an amazing graphic designer who helps me with my graphics. I have some, uh, a friend of mine who helps me with my website from time to time. And that's pretty much it. Like I used to have somebody help me with my Instagram. My sister used to do that, but um, she has just gotten so busy with her own stuff. So it's really just me doing all the things, but but I was loving learning about it. I love learning about like productivity and how to be super efficient and all that stuff. S Steve, my relationship, I just like stopped caring about my relationship. I stopped caring about my friends and my family. Like I didn't really care if I hung out with them. I just like everything. I just didn't care about anything anymore. And it felt exactly like it did when I was depressed. I was clinically depressed for four years. So I very much know what that feels like. And that's, that's what it felt like. It was just, I was numb. I wasn't sad. I just didn't care about anything. It was like I had lost incentive. All my ambition had just disappeared. And this was my big, big wake up call. And this wake up call just crashed into me really hard one weekend. 
at the end of August, I want to say, and I just stayed in bed all weekend. I had zero energy. I just slept. I could, I couldn't even muster up the energy to make food and feed myself. Steve was concerned at this point. He kept coming in and just being like, are you okay? Like, I've never seen you like this before. Is everything okay? And I was so snappy and I was so irritable. And at this point I knew, I knew I was like, fuck, I'm in burnout. And so this was when I was kind of having my little pity party. And I was just so annoyed, I guess, with myself. And then I was so annoyed that Steve kept asking me if I was okay when I clearly wasn't okay. And I was like, no, nothing is okay. Like, I am not okay. Stop asking me. Like, (laughs) nothing matters. I don't care about anything anymore. And that's when I started crying. I was like, just leave me alone. Like, the poor guy. He's such a trooper. And of course, you know, tail between my legs. A few days later, I was like, I'm really sorry. Like, this is what I'm going through. And this is like how I feel. And this is why I reacted like that. Um, But that was a really, really, really rough weekend. And oh my gosh, the brain fog. So up until this point, I had never really experienced brain fog. I had read about it. I know what it is. I've heard so many of my clients talk about it, but I've never really experienced it. And the only way I can, like, I felt dumb. And that might just be the the wrong way to say this and talk about this, but that's how I felt. I literally just felt dumb. Like I kept missing really simple, small things in my project management role, for example, with that other online company, just dumb, dumb mistakes that I was like, how the heck did I miss this? This is something I've done a million times. And all of a sudden I missed it. Like this is second nature to me. I am so organized. I have incredible attention to detail like this. It was really trippy. Like it was a mind fuck. It was like so frustrating. I didn't understand. I genuinely didn't understand why I kept making these mistakes. And it was really only in that one role. Like it never kind of bled over into my practice. Uh, it didn't bleed over into my government job, I think, cause I caught it kind of early enough. Uh, it was almost like contained to this one role. I'm, I'm really not sure why, but it was so frustrating. I just did not feel like myself. It felt like no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't do anything right. And then I made this like really big error in that project management role that cost the person that I was working with money. And that's when I really had to step back and be like, okay, something is really wrong here because I should not have missed this. It was just like so dumb. Like there's no other word for it. I just, I don't even understand how it happened. I mean, I understand because I had such crazy brain fog. Um, Oh, and I started to get these eye floaters, which can be a symptom of adrenal issues, but also parasites. Um, My skin started breaking out again. The chest pain tightness, I used to, this was a big symptom for me when I had anxiety and panic disorder is that I always just had this subtle, but not so subtle pressure in my chest where it felt like someone was squeezing my heart all day, all night, not in a painful way, but just like not but it wasn't comfortable. So it was just this constant chest tightness. And I had a client describe it once, which I thought was really great where she's like, it was, it just feels like somebody's like kind of has this like steel toe boot and they're just kind of pushing and pushing and pushing on my heart. And it's not painful, but it's incredibly uncomfortable. And sometimes it's all you can think about. So that came back. Um, my stress resiliency plummeted. 
I'm usually someone who has a pretty high stress tolerance because I really, really prioritize not only managing the physical stress within my body and keeping that extremely low, but I really prioritize daily stress management activities and practices. But I was just so irritable. I felt so easily overwhelmed. I felt so overstimulated. I could like feel my nervous system was just like buzzing and on. And I'm just not somebody, I don't feel like that on a date. I just, I don't, I'm not somebody who gets overwhelmed easily anymore. I used to, when my anxiety and panic was bad, of course. I got this like rash on my leg. I was getting sick more than normal and I rarely get sick. And if I do catch a cold or flu, I recover really quickly, like two days, which is normal. It's not like you're going to go around never catching a cold or a flu, it's your immune system should be strong enough that it doesn't knock you down and you bounce back rather quickly. And if you're not, then we need to look at gut health and adrenal health, which is going to directly influence what's going on with the immune system and your immune health. My sex drive plummeted, libido down. I was getting headaches and I never get headaches. Just like so irritable, like so, so irritable. Um, and IBS like symptoms. So not full-blown IBS, but very similar digestive symptoms. Oh, and my hair had started to fall out when I was brushing it in the shower. Obviously, it's normal for a little bit of hair to to come off, but this was like clumps and clumps and to the point where, again, I would, you know, you like brush your hair and then you kind of tuck it in the side of the the, uh, shower and then I would accidentally leave it there and Steve would kind of at whatever point come in and, and he would be like, oh my gosh, like, is this normal? Like, is everything okay? And I was like, no, it is not normal. (laughs) So how many of those symptoms, plus the ones I mentioned before when I was breaking down the stages, do you resonate with? A lot of people are experiencing adrenal dysfunction because so many of these symptoms are normalized because don't worry, we have a pill for that. It's normal. So many people experience this and normalizing these symptoms is actually a really, really big problem. Things like seasonal allergies, fatigue, trouble sleeping, catching cold and flus easily, cravings, brain fog, headaches, body aches and pains, which I don't even think I mentioned when I was lifting off symptoms, but those are also symptoms of adrenal dysfunction. So when these symptoms and many, many more symptoms are normalized, we don't take the action to dig deeper and figure out why this is happening. When we normalize these symptoms, when the healthcare system normalizes these symptoms, which by the way, our traditional healthcare model is a sick care system. We think the only way to deal with it is to medicate or to medicate the symptom or to just live with it instead of addressing the underlying issues causing this symptom. This leaves body-based imbalances imbalanced and continues to pave the way for more issues to pop up. Just because the majority of society is struggling with or coping with or dealing with or experiencing something that does not make it normal, that makes it common. Common means a large number of people experience this symptom. Normal means it shouldn't be happening in the first place. Your body is trying to tell you something isn't right. Are you going to brush her off again? Or are you going to wait until the symptoms become screams? Or are you going to do something about it? And you'll hear me say this a lot because it's true. I'm so grateful now for my anxiety, panic, and depression because only through those experiences did I learn how to listen to my body and to stop ignoring her. So my blood work showing the insulin resistance 
actually happened before I started experiencing any symptoms, which is one of the, any other symptoms and any symptoms of insulin resistance. I was actually very surprised when I got my blood work back, um, like middle of 2022. And I was like, what? (laughs) Like, this is so weird. Uh, and now it makes sense. But this is why I love getting full and complete labs every six to eight months because you can catch things early. And then after that, my sleep started to go a little wonky. Then my energy during the day started to dip and I started to get more irritable. And then in the summer, I had this big cystic acne breakout on my face, which hasn't happened since 2020. So it wasn't like I just had all of these symptoms for months and months and months and wasn't doing anything about it. It was very, very kind of like slow. And even then I was still recognizing this, like with my blood work, I'm like, okay, what do I need to do? When my sleep started going weird, when my energy started dipping, I was already thinking, okay, what do I need to do? And I started to buckle down and make the dietary and lifestyle tweaks necessary. And I really felt that that would keep everything at bay until the end of August, where it just felt like I just crashed into it. And then all of a sudden it was all these symptoms piling on top of each other full force. There was no escaping it. And it it was a crash. It was that weekend where I just crashed. And then I had a few weekends in a row like that. And I really think that the reason this happened was because of the lifestyle factors that I was not taking into consideration. So I had experienced long periods of stress that for some reason I didn't think mattered, even though I should have known better. But I really thought I was doing enough to support my body through diet and lifestyle. I was really not factoring in that stress is a huge part of this puzzle because I had just learned to live with it. Like I just learned to live with the financial stress. I had also driven myself to exhaustion, but again, I was so passionate about what I was doing. I didn't realize I was driving myself to exhaustion until I was in exhaustion. One of the biggest takeaways from this experience has been the importance of having fun and playing and prioritizing joy every single day and disconnecting. Everything I did, even the things I did for fun, for years have just been so connected to my business, which I think is a trap so many health entrepreneurs fall into. And this has been an ongoing conversation with my therapist that I've been having with her for years. Um, and she'll be like, what do you do for fun? And I'm like, oh, I, I read, you know, I spin, I do yoga, I listen to podcasts, I do research, I, I take continuing education courses. And she's like, okay, but like, what do you do for you that's just for fun that isn't connected to like self-development or bettering yourself or has nothing to do with being a nutritionist. And I was like, uh, have dinners with Steve, (laughs) like see my friends sometimes, but not really even that much. Like I really wasn't doing anything just for fun. And so one of the big changes I made was I wrote out a list of all the things I could do for fun and a list of things to do that would be considered resting. And I just got super strict with shutting things down at six o'clock every night and really looking at those lists and being like, okay, what do I want to do tonight? I think when a lot of people think of rest, they probably think of like napping or sleeping or reading a book. And there's tons of ways to rest depending on what kind of stress you're experiencing. And one of my favorite teachers on this is Nicola Jane Hobbs. She's a psychologist, a therapist, and she's the founder of The Relaxed Woman. I highly recommend following her on Instagram. She talks about how there are 10 types of stress and depending on what kind of stress you are experiencing, you will need different types of rest. We have been 
culturally conditioned not to rest, to hustle and grind and push and wear the fact that we're tired like this badge of honor because it means we're working hard and our value is based on how hard we work. So we have to unlearn this and learn how to rest. It doesn't come naturally, especially if you're in a sympathetic dominant state, which if you have chronic anxiety, you are most likely in a sympathetic dominant state. It doesn't feel safe to rest. So you have to practice resting and it will feel uncomfortable at first. It still feels uncomfortable for me sometimes. I'm still working with my therapist on detaching my worth and value from my accomplishments and achievements. Growing up, I learned like, oh, if I get good grades, if I am the best Irish dancer, if I'm the best soccer player, if I work really, really hard, that's when I would receive the most love. And this isn't to blame my parents at all. My, I love my parents. They're lovely humans, but they were doing the best they could with the tools that they had. And I know I'm not the only one who learned growing up that achievement and accomplishments were very attached to love because you would get so much praise. There are different, there are these deep subconscious beliefs I have that I need to prove myself and I don't just work with my therapist on this. I do a lot of inner child and shadow work on my own through a membership called To Be Magnetic called The Pathway. I think I've mentioned this on few past episodes. I'm sure it'll come up in many future episodes. I've been doing this for over a year and a half and I love it. Anyway, back to the importance of rest. (laughs) A big lesson I learned thanks to being in burnout was that I was not prioritizing cognitive rest because again, I didn't really place a lot of importance on the amount of cognitive stress I was experiencing. Did you know that overworking is defined as over 50 hours a week? I was working way more than that. I still work more than that. (laughs) Here are examples of cognitive stressors. So studying, driving, being plugged into technology all day, multitasking, working or overworking, even having a lot of very intellectually stimulating or intense conversations, academic reading, which is literally me always, information overload in general. So always listening to podcasts, self-help books, you know, studying, Googling information, literally all my spare time for, I don't even know how long since like probably 2015, (laughs) has been like reading and learning. And I'm like watching trainings from my business coaches. I'm listening to podcasts. I'm I'm reading nonfiction before bed and reading research. And this is what my therapist was always trying to get at, that like cognitively, that's a word I think, I was tapped out. And I never took that seriously because I love learning. Learning is so fun for me. I'm like a forever student. And I just never took it seriously because it did make me happy and it did bring me joy, but it is still a form of cognitive stress. And the body doesn't care that you're happy listening to podcasts all day, every day. You're still going to have that information overload. So when I started posting on Instagram that I was in burnout, I was sharing it on my stories and I was sharing kind of like my comeback workout routine because I had to lay off weights for months and months and months. And I'm slowly incorporating some heavy weights again, just really slow, 20 minutes um, for three times a week, two to three times a week. And I'm slowly building from there. I had a friend of mine DM me and she said, you know, did you go into burnout because you were over-exercising? Super fair question. No, because I haven't over-exercised in years 
not since I learned about syncing, cycle syncing, diet, exercise, all these things. Cycle syncing is, I'll do future podcast episodes on it. I teach all my clients this. I actually have a pre-recorded workshop that covers cycle syncing in detail, especially from the diet and exercise standpoint. It's called In Sync With Your Hormones, and I will link it in the show notes. But could over-exercising push someone over the edge into burnout? For sure, because that's a form of physical stress, and burnout results from the combination of chronic stress and adrenal insufficiency. This chronic stress can be low-grade physical stress. It can be emotional stress, can be cognitive stress, productivity stress, creative stress, which is also huge for entrepreneurs. I'm a nutritionist, yes, but I'm also a content creator, and there's a lot of pressure to be constantly producing. Uh, There's sensory stress, spiritual stress, environmental stress from toxins, from our environment. I'm going to do a whole episode on physical stress because this is like my passion. This is what my work really focuses on. So because I knew exactly how to release physical stress, that's why I thought, oh, I'm not actually going to go into burnout. Like, okay, yeah, I have some signs and symptoms of stage one and then stage two, but I'm not going to go into burnout. I'm not going to go into stage three because I know what to do from like a dietary supplement lifestyle perspective, except I was overworking myself. And I just thought that was fine. I'm like, oh, it's fine. I like what I'm doing. And it's fun, so it can't be stress. But I was wrong. (laughs) I truly believed what pushed me over the edge and into burnout was this like long time kind of low level of the financial and well, not low level. It was a high level, but it felt very low grade because I was just like, oh, this is my life. Like, this is just normal for me. This is my baseline. But it was this years of financial and cognitive stress And so the type of rest for cognitive stress, for example, is not napping and sleeping and meditating, although these things are great, but what you want to do is focus on non-thinking activities like knitting, which I happen to love to do, (laughs) gardening, um, cooking, baking, painting, drawing, basically anything where you're working with your hands, but your brain is shut off and you're able to get into this flow state. So that became a really big priority for me, focusing on rest, but not just rest in general, but the very specific types of rest based on the type of stress I was experiencing. And other things I did, other tweaks I made when I realized I was in burnout, burnout, like phase three. Now, everything I'm about to share, this worked for me based on my whys, based on how I ended up here, based on what was going on in my gut with my hormones. So this is going to look different for everyone, but this is what I did. I changed my macros, so I increased carbs significantly all cycle long. Normally, I would eat lower carb, almost keto, but not keto in my follicular phase. So after my bleed, right up until ovulation. And then after ovulation, I would increase complex carbs. But since August and even now to this February is when I'm recording this, 2023, I'm still having like even carbs and protein. So I'm doing 130 grams of protein, which is basically what I was doing before, um, anywhere between 100 and 130 a day. And then I'm doing 130 grams of carbs during my follicular and then actually increasing carbs even more after ovulation. I also adjusted my adrenal support supplements. So depending on what stage you're in, there's different herbs that are going to be stronger or more effective or more potent depending on the stage. So 
in stage one, in that alarm stage, you want to think of things like, or some things that could be really helpful are magnesium, bisglycinate, L-theanine, uh, GABA, lavender, vitamin C, B vitamins, ashwagandha, uh, phosphatidylserine, which is also great if you've had a concussion. Side note, I had one in 2020 and it took me about six weeks to recover. And I credit a lot of the kind of speed of the recovery uh, to the diet and supplement support that I was on. A lot of the supplements I'm mentioning, the, the brands and the specific ones that I like can be found in my supplement shops that are also going to be linked in the show notes. So that's stage one. Stage two, you want to look at different herbs. So maybe not ashwagandha. So instead of lavender and ashwagandha, you might want to look at holy basil and rhodiola, even maca, uh, and then vitamin C, magnesium, B vitamins. That's going to be true across the board for all stages. Stage three, licorice. If this isn't contraindicated, always, always, always when I'm mentioning supplements, if you're not working with a practitioner that you can bounce this off of and or you're not, you, you know, you're not, not working with me, uh, please always do your research because there are contraindications and licorice is one of those. So licorice, um, if there's no contraindications, adrenal glandulars, and then again, vitamin C, magnesium, and B. So right now, for example, I'm taking licorice. Actually, I finished my licorice and my adrenal glandulars, and now I'm trying uh, a blend of like ashwagandha and holy basil. Uh, I think there's rhodiola in there too, some Siberian ginseng. I'm trying a different blend because I am feeling a lot better and I'm not in stage three anymore. Um, I might even be in stage one, <laughs> like definitely stage two, maybe like more stage one, I would say. Um, so I need to adjust my supplements accordingly. You know, I have a lot of women tell me I tried ashwagandha, I didn't do anything. And there's a few reasons for that. One, it's not a magic bullet or a magic pill. You still have to do the dietary and lifestyle changes. You still have to support gut health, figure out what digestive imbalances you have, all that stuff. Ashwagandha on its own is not going to do anything if you're not also making those foundational changes. Also, it may not have been the appropriate herb for that woman's stage of adrenal dysfunction. Like when I recognized that I was in stage three, that's when I brought in the heavy hitters, the licorice and the adrenal glandulars, but I wouldn't do that for stage one. Or so that person who, or the many women who've messaged me this and have said ashwagandha hasn't done anything, I'd be curious to know what stage they were in. And maybe they just weren't, it just, they were past the point of ashwagandha. They needed something stronger. Uh, I slept a lot. Like I said, I, I let myself sleep in. I would go back to bed. I did a lot of yoga nidra. So instead of taking a nap during the day, if I felt like I needed it, I would do yoga nidra. I cut out coffee. So people want black and white answers when it comes to a lot of health things, especially something like coffee. Can I have it? Can I not have it? They want you to tell them exactly what to do, but there's always so much nuance and you really need to find what works for you. That's what I help my, my clients with. It's not black and white. There are general overarching themes, and then we tweak and refine based on their body, their lifestyle, their health goals, their health history, et cetera. So learning what works for you is going to take some trial and error. You have to ride the wave and not just throw your hands up in the air when something doesn't work and give up and be like, oh, well, this isn't working. I've, I've tried everything. You know, I guess I'm just stuck with this anxiety forever. There's this quote by Thomas Edison that I love, love, love. I think about it all the time. And when it, and the quote is, when you have exhausted all possibilities, you haven't, or something like that. When you've exhausted all possibilities, remember this, you haven't. 
And it's so true. I cannot tell you the amount. And I get it because I used to feel this way where I'm like, I've tried everything. Nothing works. And I hear this all the time. And then I, I get the women to fill out my intake forms and I'm looking at the intake forms and I'm, I'm thinking, yes, you've done a lot, but you haven't tried everything. Like there's never, I've never, ever, ever looked at intake forms and been like, hmm, I'm stumped. I have no idea what to do. And, I, and I'm not coming at that from a place of, I don't know, like ego or being like, I'm so good. <laughs> it's just true. And I've had this conversation with all of my colleagues as well. And you, when you think you have exhausted all possibilities, you, you haven't. So anyway, that was a little tangent, but I, if you are in stage three burnout, you really should be cutting out all stimulants. And this would in, include chocolate, cacao, um, anything, even maca, uh, you know, black teas, anything at least for as you're pulling yourself out of stage three and really, really nourishing and supporting and loving up on the adrenals and, and caffeine, although coffee definitely does have some, you know, people are like, oh, it has antioxidants. It has all these benefits. Yes, but there's never going to be a black and white answer. It really depends on the person and their situation. So if somebody's in stage one, for example, and they're like, I don't want to remove coffee, coffee, I can't remove it. I say, okay, that's fine. Let's get you down to one glass if you're having multiple cups. And let's also work on the hormones, the gut, let's nourish the body, replenish the nutrient deficiencies, uh, what's going on with the nervous system. And you might actually be able to keep coffee in and bring all that stuff online. I've had plenty of coffee. Uh, clients who haven't removed coffee. But for stage three, for example, I really think caffeine needs to go for a little bit. I also went hard on boosting mineral status in my body, which I was always doing, but um, I was just more intentional about it. A lot of the tweaks that I've made, it was just me being more intentional. I really wrote things out. I wrote myself a little protocol. Protocols are not just supplements. They're supplements, they're diet, lifestyle. I wrote it out. I typed it up. I printed it. I put it beside my bed, on my fridge. I have to do these things whenever I change up my protocols. I don't just remember. I have to create the habit just like everyone else. I think a lot of people think maybe because I'm a nutritionist, everything comes naturally and like some things do, but that's because I've been intentionally doing this since 2015 and now they come naturally. And in other areas, I still have to do the work. I still have to set myself up for success. I have to set reminders on my phone. I have to make myself protocols and post them everywhere around my house and all these little tips and tricks when you're making changes. I also ruled out gut infections. So I tested for physical stressors like heavy metal toxicity, digestive imbalances, bacteria imbalances. And, and I did um, have a little bit of heavy metal toxicity. So I adjusted my supplements accordingly to support this as well. I started to really make cognitive rest a priority, having fun a priority, unplugging a priority. And the biggest piece is I gave my notice for the project management job that I loved so much, but it had to go. And I think this was the biggest piece that was going to move, um, that really moved the needle the furthest in my recovery. And I had to take a step back and seriously ask myself, is this fourth job worth it? Yes, you love it. Yes, the money helps so much, but at what cost is it worth my health? And that's a really hard decision. Do you choose your health or do you choose the money? When I decided to do this, when I decided to build Breaking Up With Anxiety, when I 
decided, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be a nutritionist and I'm going to have this online presence. I had always told myself, but never at the expense of my health. Technically, I don't have to do any of this. Like I have so many clients in Ottawa that will reach out to me and to asking me to work there. And, and I could do that. I could shut down my Instagram. I could turn it back to private and just have it be pictures of like me and Steve and our trips and our cats and just for friends and family. Uh, you know, I don't have to create programs or workshops or have this podcast or write Instagram posts. I can keep everything I know private, like only for my clients that I privately, privately work with, like in Ottawa, in clinic, but I don't want to do that. I want as many people as possible to know that chronic anxiety is not this incurable disease. It's not something you just have to live with. It's not part of your personality. It's a symptom and that nobody has to live with this symptom of chronic anxiety. And that's not going to happen by me working in an office, you know, only taking local clients, having no social media presence and just like hiding all my knowledge. So I'm choosing to do this, but I need to do this in a way that doesn't burn me out. And sometimes we have to make really hard decisions in order to protect our health. I talked about this on episode five when I brought up brought on relationship coach, April Mather, to help me unpack how we can know if our romantic relationships are contributing to or even causing our anxiety. Sometimes we need to make difficult decisions for the benefit of our mental and physical health. Sometimes you have to leave the job or leave the relationship. Even if you love the job or you love the person, your health has to come first. And this was such a big lesson for me that even jobs you love can take a toll on your health. And you need to ask yourself, is this really worth it? I had to ask myself, is this really worth it? In my opinion, it never is. Nothing is more important to me than my health. My health impacts every single area of my life. And recovery from stage three, adrenal dysfunction is not an overnight process. It takes a minimum of 11 weeks. And I knew it was going to take longer for me since I wasn't out of my fourth job until the end of November. So I gave my notice at the end of August. The agreement when I took the job was 90 days. I was obviously going to honor and respect that. So all the dietary changes, the lifestyle changes, the supplements, these are extremely helpful in supporting the body and managing symptoms and keeping them from getting worse. But ultimately for me to fully recover, I needed to be out of that role. And the timing of this podcast is actually quite perfect because last week I had a little dip in my recovery. So from the end of August to November, it was really touch and go. I would feel really good for a few weeks and then I would crash for a few days, maybe even up until a week. I basically did nothing on the weekends, but rested the wedding that I went to yesterday. I didn't go to the bachelorette, which I was supposed to go to. And I was, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I couldn't muster up the energy. I scaled back on work as much as possible and focused on myself and my recovery and my symptoms started to improve. I started to feel better by mid September. My motivation came back. I started to care about things again. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> my skin cleared up. My libido came back. My IBS-like symptoms were gone. Chest tightness gone. My hair was not falling out in clumps anymore. Just the normal amount of a little bit of hair loss when you have a shower, when you brush. The real lingering symptoms now are sleep is still touch and go, which is to be expected. Um, sleep takes a little bit longer in situations like this, but I know it's coming. My energy during the day for the most part is really good, except last week was rough. Last week I had a dip. 
But again, that's to be expected. The path to rebalancing the body or the healing process, as some would resonate with, the word healing, I don't, I find healing implies that something is broken. And I prefer to see it as like there's imbalances and we have to rebalance. But whatever you resonate with, the path is not linear. Even for health practitioners, we all still experience the ups and downs of what other, whatever area of our health we are working on or just life in general. What I do, what I don't do, sorry, is beat myself up or let that mean anything. I don't let that mean that I'm not doing enough or that it's not working. I understand that it's part of the process and it's just my body telling me that I need more time and I honor that. Um, I'm still struggling to get out of bed sometimes in the morning, but the rash on my leg is almost gone and the brain fog lifted uh, in December, I would say. Okay. I knew this would be a long episode. I think I'm going to wrap it up here. There will for sure be more episodes on this because I'm not completely out of the woods and I will continue to share how I am always supporting my current health and what my current health goals are because we're all working on something. Sometimes what we're just working on is maintenance uh, and there's certain key things that you do to maintain and then other times you're working on a very specific symptom. And I'm sure that there'll be lots of questions after this episode. So as always, if you have any questions, every third episode of the Breaking Up With Anxiety podcast is an Ask Me Anything episode, meaning you can ask me anything. So all you need to do is submit your question or questions with as much context as possible in the forum that's linked in the show notes of this episode. These questions will be answered anonymously always, but please do provide your email address uh, so that my amazing podcast manager can email you to let you know uh, what question your, your, uh, what question, what episode your question is answered on. (laughs) And if you suspect that you might have adrenal dysfunction, which Again, if you have chronic anxiety, you do. The question is just which stage are you in? And you are curious to see if breaking up with anxiety, my four-month coaching program would be a good fit for you. I will also leave the links for more details on that, including the interest form in the show notes. Because we will be working together intimately for four months, it's important that we both feel that this program is is a good fit. It's completely free to fill out the interest form. We're just starting the conversation. There's no commitment necessary. And I will respond to you within 72 hours, Monday to Friday. And that is a wrap. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I have one quick favor to ask you before you go. If you loved today's episode, I would so appreciate if you left a review on whatever podcast platform you are listening to right now. My goal with this podcast is to reach as many people as possible to spread awareness that anxiety is not this incurable disease. It's not something we just have to live with. It's definitely not just part of your personality. And there are body-based imbalances that need to be addressed in order to truly be free from chronic anxiety. With awareness comes action. And the more people this podcast can reach, the less people will struggle with anxiety. And positive reviews are the number one way to help new people discover the show. You are the best. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you so, so, so much.
One last thing, my legal medical disclaimer. The Breaking Up With Anxiety podcast with me, Taylor Jandro, is for general information and educational purposes only. And the advice and recommendations I give or my guests give throughout the episodes do not replace medical advice. The consumption of this podcast does not qualify as a practitioner-client relationship with me, and the use and implementation of the information discussed are at the sole discretion of the listener. Yes, I am a nutritionist, but I am not your nutritionist, so please discuss any changes with your primary healthcare provider. Okay, that's it. Until the next episode, bye for now.